Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. And Merry Christmas. If I had some bells, I would ring them right now, but I don't. So instead, we're going to replace that with horror uh, information and swearing and spoilers. So please be ready for that. Is there uh, anything more festive than swearing and spoilers? <laughs> Um, as promised, we are back now to cover uh 1920s. So 103 years old now. Uh, We've gone back in time. Calgary. Yes. <laughs> Even further back into the creepy shit. Um I think this is the oldest film we've covered, isn't it, so far? Definitely. It's got to be. Yeah. yeah. Um Yes, so uh, this, again, is part of our Silent Night series for Christmas. Um, and I'm very keen to hear what Chris would have thought of this film because it's it's just... It, it, Nosferatu, as we said before, with the last one, is a fantastic film and still plays well after all these years, but is a pretty straightforward narrative. This is full of twists. It feels like a fucking M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Well, like, I said, like I said last episode, yeah, this could absolutely be ruined by someone giving out spoilers. And but and it feels strangely modern. Yes. In in that. Uh, but And also, is this the first, like, big horror movie then? It's, there's, there's debate, but it seems to mm. be considered like one of the earliest or possibly the earliest horror movie or horror feature maybe i don't know mm. um there's the people made like little shorts that edison made a short of frankenstein, frankenstein. that was like yeah. seven minutes long or something like that right. um which you can still see um but um yeah it's i i think it's certainly the oldest we've covered it's probably one of the earliest examples of ones that you probably still see as I say, there was a lot of a lot of stuff got lost, mm. um, but um, so is this another one that could have got lost? Uh, I don't think this was successful at its time, and I think they, okay. you know, it was pretty much running. There was no, it was that legal action that really was the scuppering yeah, point yeah. for Nosferatu. Yeah, they're destroying it all. Yeah, yeah, um, but you know, if your film was successful, which this was, you know, it's mm. sort of, and again, we're back to that thing of this, this was internationally successful because anyone yeah, could go and see it. Anyone could go and see it. And yeah, I mean, as, I mean, even it's just so extraordinarily its own world. Mm. There's nothing like this film. It's just, it's so weird. And, and and that's the thing, it's taken the German expressionism, although Nosferatu was obviously first. Uh oh no, it wasn't. This was first. But no, this, this is, is first. Yeah, this is like pushed that like all the the weird angles and yeah, well, so, so, like so that's so but, so I've got to check about that, right? So so that's why I thought this is German impressionism because it's it's not like it it's uh yeah, it's it's strange. It's not accurate representation mm. it's almost like what's in the mind more than yeah so but but we'd call this expressionism that i mean that was the term for it but it was sort of um i mean it's caligari is the sort of progenitor of it and you still see it i mean obviously you still see it in tim burton um, yeah, very much so you see it in the sort of stop motion stuff like um 
uh, Coraline. Mm, okay. I can't remember what that company, Laker, the animation studio Laker, who did that and um, the, oh, uh, James and the Giant Peach stop animation that was out a few years back. Mm. And yeah, it's, I think, again, I was watching because I, especially sort of like the, this sort of more unusual stuff, I really love watching it with Claire because I get her take on it. And as she said, it feels like that film that film would look like that if you made it now. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, mm. it's so its own world and so, and so deliberate. Yeah. You know, because you've got stuff in there like the chairs they're sitting on. Yeah. And the sort of scratch well, I was gonna say that, especially so they but, look like I was gonna say that about the one figures. the one who's the uh is it the clerk or the town? The town clerk, yeah. Yeah, who's sitting up really high. Like just oh, it's almost it's like cartoon or so mm. exaggerated. Um, well Caligari's wearing Mickey Mouse gloves, isn't he? He's got big white gloves with the black lines on the yeah. back. Like every it feel and it feels harder to make than mm. a standard square room. You know, like when you see mm. his yeah. office in the sanatorium, like it's just so like it doesn't look anything like it. It'd be easy to make it look like an actual office, but they haven't. Mm-hmm. They've gone for this weird, crazy angles and strange painting on everything, and it's it just creates such a a nightmarish impression because everything's mm. half real and half surreal. Yeah, and yeah. Mm. yeah, it's such an unusual choice, but it works fantastic, especially for the you know once you the further you get into this story. The more mm, yeah. everything you've seen till that point makes All sense, scenes, yeah, kind of preempting you for it's incredibly intelligent. I it thought is... um, the way they they used color as well throughout for the different kind of environments, which was strange. I've, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, are you getting better in that sanatorium? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know you've got triangular doors that peel off into the ceiling and <laughs> swirls over everything you know it's it doesn't feel like it would stitch a damaged mind back together it feels like a stoner's house is what it feels like <laughs> a stoner I, architect i, I, I said it, it, it's like a crooked house at the fair mm. yeah and again it's something that's definitely sort of it it it's weird because this is one of those things where Nosferatu is quite influential, but in sort of story terms and things like that. Whereas this, you can see this in things. Yeah. Like I say, you can really see it in Tim Burton. You can see it in sort of uh, some other films as well. But I was flabbergasted with this. So all the sets, are. this was done on a pretty, you know, this was done on pretty low budget. And, all the sets are made from card and paper, essentially. Wow. Right. And in 1920, in Germany, electricity mm. was heavily rationed. It was still on mm. the ration after the First World War. And all the light and all the shadow that you see in this film is painted on. What? And when you watch it with that knowledge... It's mind-buggering, like the, <laughs> the, the the thought, the detail, and the it's it's like someone's fever dream 
Yeah. Holy mm-hmm. shit. I'm just looking at images now. And there's a picture of the somnambulist when he's standing there and he's got the light behind him. And you're mm. right. I can see it in the still that it's painted on the wall and they've placed his head in exactly where it would be yeah. if the light were around it. But yeah, it, yeah, you can, you can. Now you've said it. I'd never have picked up on that. But now you've said it. You can mm. totally say it. that's it's, incredible. It's like there's a bit where there's they keep doing a staircase, which is obviously meant to be lit through. It's got like a huge shadow of some bars uh, that go up the stairs. And when you actually look at it, those shadows are painted. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. shot in such a way, and the way the characters are dressed and things like that means that it sort of it all just works it, it doesn't, doesn't stand notice out. like you yeah except yeah. the the sort of it really is a total trick of the eye yeah and it's and you know like i say when i found that out i was just like fucking flabbergasted because it's mm. just so you, you know you just it's like you, this it feels like it's made by an obsessive yeah yeah whereas actually it's made by a series of obsessives but it sort of has that sort of yeah but it, it lends back to that pre because obviously theater was you know um a, a theater was it was it had been going on for a long time previous to this and this mm. is a, a new medium that they were bringing that to but yeah it is it's that set painting and stuff that you see at live productions in the theater and it's bringing that onto a big screen Mm-hmm. Where now we assume, oh, well, that's how they do it now. That was how they did it back then. But they didn't. You're quite right. They'd taken the old styles and given it this whole new lavish. And this probably led to a lot of the way that stuff was lit and things because of how they'd not lit it, but made it look mm-hmm. as if it were. It's incredible. It's just... and, and this is the thing. I don't, and I, I hope that it qualifies my statement on Nosferatu about, oh, it's a moving photograph. Um, <laughs> is that this is a moving illustration. Yeah. Mm. But not in the sense of a cartoon. This is just, you know, it it feels like an, like Edmund Gorey or something like that. It feels like illustrations from a collected works of Edgar Allan Poe or something like that. And it's yeah. sort of just so mind-boggling that it's sort of, you know, and... They even use um, like effects at one point with the text... At different mm. angles and 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 the amount um they use a lot of the like vignetting and darkening yeah. parts yeah and, yeah but again like you'd think it potentially like it could have been done too much too wrong and somehow but yeah just the whole thing every element all of that but just it, comes together to work perfectly and and it is and it is out of necessity it's out of financial mm. necessity essentially you know yeah. they couldn't afford to have lights burning to do um like set up like these huge shadows so it's like if we paint it on it'll look the same on the camera especially if you've got cardboard sets you don't want to have yeah. too much hot lighting going on or you're just asking for a massive disaster really but that the bit where he's running along and it's do must caligari verdon keeps appearing hmm. and that was the that was the public. The publicity for this film was they just put up posters with just that written on it. Mm. Didn't didn't say it was a film. Didn't say it was. Didn't tell you anything. It was just mm. posters with "You have to become Caligari" <laughs> posted all over fucking Berlin. You know, and it's like so. In a weird way, you're like, there's that sort of thing where it's like, oh well, you know, if it's a silent film, probably if you like art house, you'll probably be able to deal with 
watching silent or whatever like that and it's like i i feel this was this was art house at the time yeah do you know what i mean this this sort of was this was like the a, a 4ad um not 4ad that's a record label a24 that's what i'm thinking mm. <laughs> to be honest 4ad very much in the same sort of <laughs> wheelhouse the gothic wheelhouse there i would say so i was probably on the right on the right lines but it's also really interesting because you've got um so Césaire, the sonambulist is played mm. by an actor called Con- conrad Veidt. and conrad Veidt is fucking brilliant yeah and apart from the fact of the that effect of just his like heavily made up eyes, mm. but when he opens them gradually and then just stares, and you're like, That's that, that is not a special effect, that is not, do you, do you know what I mean? That is just an actor with just the right look and the right level of intensity and everything else like that, that it just yeah, comes definitely. through and. Um, but Conrad Veidt was, um, this was like one of the f- films that sort of really made him a household name. Mm. And so he, he did lots of, um, he was in a silent anthology horror, which I've got to see now called Waxworks. Um, mm. he's in a film called the hands of all luck, which is the classic tale of when someone gets their hands cut off and replaced with those of a murderer. Mm. Um, the, uh, student of Prague, but he's in a f- film called The Man Who Laughs. And that the character he plays in that is someone who's had a smile carved into their face. Mm. Because that's the thing, is that this is all pre-code as well. Like sort of, you know, before again, like we were saying about early days, there were no standards and practices at this point. They just happened to not, I don't know, have like live fucking on camera or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There wasn't any law saying you couldn't do that sort of shit. So mm. all the stuff that they would imply would be pretty sort of like heavy duty, like Caligari is, you know, it's like mm. murder and uh, mental illness and things like that. Um, but yeah, so the man who laughs, he plays this character who's had a grin cut into his face and he is, that image is the inspiration for the Joker, the Batman villain. Yeah. Um, and I sent you guys that on the WhatsApp. That's what a it picture was. of Conrad Veidt as in the Man Who Laughs, mm. and it is just the fucking Joker, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. just that comic book Joker. Um, but he was, um, like, so he he started life. He wanted to be a surgeon, and found out that he was absolutely no aptitude for it. Um, and then probably lucky he didn't continue that then. Yes, very much so. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been Conrad Veidt, the amazing <laughs> sort of actor and philanthropist. It would have been Conrad Veidt, the uh, the the Berlin mass murderer, the yeah. butcher of Berlin, who <laughs> <laughs> fucked up more operations than anyone. <laughs> but um, and then he sort of he looked into he, he was in a play at school and really enjoyed it and got some good notices and so people he was like well maybe i'll try acting and apparently his dad fucking hated the idea but mm-hmm. his mum quietly encouraged him mm-hmm. and bunged him a few quid you know she sort of like financed him and uh encouraged him to keep going and 
he became part of a theatre troupe and was doing quite well. Then World War One breaks out and he's in he ends up in the German army at the Eastern Front mm. and gets uh, sent evacuated home with uh, jaundice and pneumonia and is uh, was declared unfit for service. Um, and then he went back to the theatre, got some really rave reviews, and then just became this figure in um, German silent films. He was doing uh, and uh, playing a lot of like obviously like villainous roles and stuff like that. And in the twenties, he went to Hollywood and was doing quite well there. Uh, but he, because obviously he was still doing silent film, uh, initially had been doing silent films. Um, he didn't have a great grasp of English, so when talkies mm. came in, he went back to Germany. Um, but then um, he uh, obviously you then get to the point where the Nazis come in to the uh, to the uh, story as usual, and um, when they took power, um, one of the things that Joseph Goebbels did was they went through the film industry and like the entertainment industry, and they were I mean they were closing down anything that they considered decadent and everything, and they went through the film mm. industry and basically um, everyone there. They were trying to get rid of anyone, obviously anyone Jewish, anyone politically opposed to them, and it was just like a sort of mass clear out. And um, he had this racial questionnaire that everyone involved in the film industry had to fill out. Um, and Conrad Veidt put his race down as Jewish. He wasn't Jewish, but his wife was. And hmm. it and basically they'd said to him, "Oh well, if you." Um, you know, if you um, if you get divorced and declare your support for the Nazi party, you can keep working because he was that big a star. And he basically told the fuck off. And it was like, no, that's my wife. Why right? Not... So? Yeah. And he was, you know, and out of solidarity with the Jewish people, he was it, it was also because he'd, he'd already been quite a vocal opponent to the Nazis as they got to the point where they uh, took power. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, he was like, no, that's, we're not doing that. So him and his wife emigrated to England uh, in 1933 and he started appearing in British films. And obviously he was living in England, so his, his English had improved. Mm -hmm. And he worked with, um, uh, like did a few films with Michael Powell, um, like during the uh, 1940s and stuff like that, you know, and it was, you know, he was doing quite well over there. Then he went to Hollywood and basically it was, he did it because he was, he did it to assist the British war effort by trying to appear in films that would encourage America who weren't in the war to oh, join in, you know, mm -hmm. so essentially, you know, anti-Nazi propaganda mm. for want of a better word. Mm. But um, so so he went to America and was uh, doing that, and he said that he realised that he was going to get typecast as Nazis anyway because he because of his accent. So his contract stipulated, yeah, I'll play a Nazi, but they've always got to be the villain. Hmm. You know, there was no sort of soft soaping it or anything as far as he was concerned. Well, I mean, that's I mean that's a ridiculous thing, isn't it? Will you turn on your wife, basically accept her terrible fate? But mm. you get, yeah, and say you love us, but you get to keep your job. Who in the I mean, world you, you do they be, think would do you gotta that? You got to be pretty selfish, <laughs> haven't you? To, yeah, I know. To go, yeah. 
this is i mean it's it's i mean and well not only that but also but i mean this is something that i just thought was incredible um so as i say he'd moved to america in 1941 but he was re he just was worried about the like the kids in the blitz hmm. so he got his lawyer in london like he like he got his lawyer in london to buy on his behalf um 2,000 large chocolate bars, 2,000 envelopes with um, cash in them, and 2,000 one tin, one pound tins of sweets, and got mm. them sent to all the bomb shelters in uh, London mm. to be given to needy kids. Like, if you know, just sort of like that was the the thing. And it was like, you know, he, I think it was a genuine, you know, he genuinely seemed to have a so, cinema villain, real life hero. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And he just sort of, and and that's the thing. He ended up, I think, his like his big American film was he's like the villain in Casablanca, or one of the villains in Casablanca. Mm. And it's um, and funny enough, though, I was going to say in Doctor Caligari, he's not actually a villain. He's kind of a victim. Yeah, exactly. Really, and it's just. But I was just sort of like, you know, I was just astounded by the fact that this guy was like, you know, it was just like. And it's also, I mean, when you compare it to um, Werner Krauss, who plays Caligari, mm -hmm. was a he Nazi does a great supporter. Job. No, right. he was a Nazi supporter, mm. uh, and actually, he ended up um, he ended up getting tried for war crimes mm. really? because uh, a minor war criminal, in so much uh, as collaboration, yeah. not like yeah. not as possible as you could think war yeah, crimes yeah. could go but he was yeah because he was basically he got declared what was it an act uh, an actor of the state mm. um he really didn't have any trouble with uh, keeping his job <laughs> um but um and yeah he ended up like after the war he, he got like sort of exiled from austria and just yeah he's sort of, i mean it was it's it's weird to actually read about someone you know actually being held accountable for things they've done because just don't happen mm. anymore really but <laughs> you know in this sort of but in this sense i mean he was like sort of he was ostracized for like five years or whatever it was and you know and sort of never worked again basically because at mm. the time he was very much yep no i'm in and then tried to uh, but then did try to say afterwards oh no i was coerced and yeah, I, by the sounds of it, I don't think many people believed him. No, um, who were actually sort of aware of him. But but like it's like saying, I mean, Conrad Veidt just seemed like this sort of like amazing guy. And like you say, it's it's hell of a fucking thing to turn around and tell the Nazi party to go fuck yourselves. Mm. Well, you know, yeah. it's not easily done. Um, and then to actually sort of like you know, I mean, like I say, I mean, apparently the chief air raid warden wrote to him was like. Do you know you're the only person who's done anything like like any charitable thing for these kids? Mm. Oh. <laughs> and it was like, and and he was, it, but basically, he was like, and you're not, e you know, you're not even English. Yeah. And but you're, you know, the, and you're um, the one putting yourself out there and spending your own money to mm. to, to look after people who, yeah, are falling through the cracks. And mm. I mean, and it was just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, government at, 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 in time of war, obviously, have got their hands full. They, they, you know, they can't look after everyone. And without philanthropists like this, I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. And it makes all the difference to somebody, you know, like a like you say, the kids. Oh, yeah, they were... must have been that must have been like a fucking such a startling moment. And like I say, yeah. it's just a weird thing that you'd you'd sort of think that it was because I know the name Conrad Vite, but it's only sort of like when I'm reading into it, it's like this sort of like just got this guy like just seemed like this very amazing person, you know. Mm. Um he did uh he did die of a heart attack whilst playing golf with his doctor and a singer called Arthur Fields as well. So, you know, uh, that golf in LA, so it weren't it weren't it weren't too bad at Exit. He was doing all right, really. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, if you die on a golf course and you've got a doctor at hand and doctor, you still yeah. die, I don't think yeah. as much can be done for you, really. It's <laughs> no, it's very true. It's very true. I don't think that anyone was sort of like um yeah, I don't think uh, no suspicious circumstances there, certainly. You know, it's like, well, that's declared it. I mean, something I don't know what the score was like on the version you, you guys were watching. I watched the Eureka Blu ray, and it was um, a guy called Cornelius Schwert. And I actually preferred it to because the one on Nosferatu was actually the one I watched was the original score. They've recreated the original score mm. that was given out with it, but. Yeah, this this one seemed pretty good, but uh, Caligari's been like a real both Nosferatu and Caligari because they're silent. I've had so many people do um, yeah. music for them, yeah, like sort of redone the score and stuff like that. But like John Zorn and in the nursery have done Caligari, and um, just you know, it's it's just a it's just a no brainer, I suppose. And it's like, well, this hasn't got any sound, so. And that's what I love as well with these public domain uh, films. Yeah, is that anybody can just get a copy and just have a crack it, and you get such a a totally different experience. You know, as I, as yeah. I said with Nosferatu when I saw it live, and it was one guy, basically with a whole, you know, like he had loads of different instruments, and he was sort of flittering between them, and. At first, I found it a little bit distracting because I was because I knew the film, so I kept mm. kind of watching what he was doing. But he did such a good job that I just got immersed in the film mm. with his sound, and it didn't feel at all distracting. Mm. But it is great that you, you know you can watch the film with one soundtrack and then watch it with a different, and it has yeah, a whole different. That is really interesting feel yeah. to it, and and you've got that ability to do it because it's public mm. domain and it's silent, so literally you can just get it. Turn the sound off, chuck a mixing mm-hmm. desk in it, and just put your own stuff on it. And it's it's a yeah. beautiful way to to um, to experiment with sounds and yeah. And again, I think Caligari is pretty special because of because it's its own thing, its own <laughs> world almost like that. You don't whatever you put on it doesn't necessarily feel inappropriate in the sense of. You know, oh well, they, they wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have had an electric guitar. They might have put an electric <laughs> yeah. guitar on it, or something like. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's sort of yeah, it's I so think it sort of transcends that just because it's such a fucking bizarre little entity on its own. Yeah, um, and like Robert uh, Robert Vina, who was the uh, who directed it, um, he also directed Hands of Orlack, the Conrad Veidt film that I mentioned mm. earlier. Um, but uh, he um, he also was um, where are we? Oh, I've completely lost my thing. It is there it was. I mean, he's, he's a... we are celebrating just to let everybody. Know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he was um, he 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 was another one who got a brush with the uh, uh, with the Nazi authorities because mm. 
his last film in Germany was a film called Typhoon. And it got banned on the basis that they showed uh, Asian characters in a more favourable light to European ones. Yeah. And, really? And, and, and even I, though I suppose, the film, to be fair, yeah. that probably isn't the most petty thing. Not, not the worst no, thing. Not by, not by a long shot, they, sir. They did a lot. Yeah. Real but, pricks, apparently. Oh, my God. But it was just so... But again, you're just sort of like... Oh, well, that was it as well. And the implication that the authorities, because the film's set in France, and mm. like they were like, well, you show the authorities are competent. Yeah, in France. <laughs> but still, they were like, yeah, but people could mistake it for Germany. <laughs> but uh, so, so, quite rightly, I think uh, he, he quite rightly got the fuck out of Dodge as well. You know, I think it just seemed to be, um, it's, it's weird. the because it comes from such a weird little period of German history where you've got mm. sort of like post-world between the world wars. Mm. But you have got these sort of like flourishes. And basically, um, I mean, as I say, I mean, it it went both ways in terms of the main cast of this film, of whether they were sort of in or out after 1933. Uh-huh. You know, and it's sort of... <laughs> so, so I was going to ask so did you say this is was from a book no this is purely this was it basically was this, written this for... was written by two, two guys called Carl, uh, Karl Meyer and Hans Janowitz um and they basically wrote it as a um and not as a play it was no this was always written as it a film it was okay. um which must fact, have been quite fact, unusual uh, at the time, really, isn't yeah. it? Because it's it's a new thing, it's a whole new technology. People are saying, they seem to have come up with ideas and, that, yeah. like seem ahead of the time. Yeah, for, way ahead. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I mean, this is because the, um, they they'd written quite a few sort of like separately. They they wrote quite a few films, but this is the only one I think they wrote together. Mm. Um, but they both of them work with Murnau and. Um, uh, Hans Janowitz said that it was basically the inspiration came when they went to to a carnival mm. and there was just an odd looking man in the shadows uh, okay. and then the next day there was a report that a girl had been murdered and it was like in his head it was like it was that guy and he started to add all these details in and it all sort of yeah and it all sort of turned into because the... I mean I suppose a lot of it would have worked as a play in the, so some of the story aspects like that it starts off um that like the early frame is of the end of the film isn't it and well, and so calling back to that and and then all of the twists yeah well, so reusing in, sets and mm. interestingly enough though that was the the script writers didn't write that bit oh, that okay. was an addition because uh, they i think they actually said at one point fritz lang was meant to direct or was possibly going to direct caligari uh, Fritz Lang, who did like uh, Metropolis and um, just M, M and just yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he's just such a again an amazing uh, like director of like German silent and uh, talk talking pictures. <laughs> um, but they were like, oh, but basically, yeah. So they think it might have been something he suggested or the producer suggested or something like that. But basically, yeah, the scriptwriters were really anti that. So you, it's one of the first, there you go. Okay. Already, already there's a dispute over. Can, yeah. 
you know, there's creative differences. It's 1920. And mm. uh, there's still a couple of disgruntled script writers who are getting shoved <laughs> by a producer. It's like, yeah, but can we make it a bit nicer? Because... <laughs> Because that's the thing is, is I always it's a weird one though because you've got there's like the implication of that final twist, mm. and I like I saw that they said oh the producers felt that it would be to to lighten the the mood of the film, it's to give it almost like a sort of well not a happy ending but like a sort of a up more upbeat ending. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but the fact that the guy puts the Caligari glasses on and then takes them off and says, I know exactly what's wrong with him. He thinks I'm Caligari and I know how to cure him. Mm. That does not that does not come over as the sort of Yeah. Doesn't sound that happy. Came but... over as like the third twist. Yeah. But it's like, oh no, I fucking is him and he's gonna <laughs> brutally do murder him yeah. in his bed. Yeah. I know the cure for him thinking I'm Caligari. <laughs> it's funny, I, I, you're saying about, you know, sort of making it more palatable. I, I, recently, I saw the the newest um, uh, Murder in Venice. Oh, what, the, the Poirot? The Poirot one. Yeah, and I didn't realise at the time when I watched it that it was actually based on an older uh, story, The Halloween Party. Um, in which it, the victim is a, a young girl. Um, yeah, and basically she's drowned while uh, bobbing for apples. Mm. Um, and they've totally changed that in the new one. And when I was discussing it with Lady Jennifer, and she was like, well, yeah, it's a Hollywood film. They're obviously not going to make not it all about a murder. And I was like, well, why not? Because I'm so used to horror. Yeah, the idea that, that would this, seem fine. I was like, well, that's, that, yeah. If that's what was originally mm -hmm. done, why have they but fucked that? Would that would put off like, a lot of them. Yeah, it's a mainstream yes. audience. You can't yeah. murder an eight-year-old girl in the first ten minutes. And, and I was like, well, Bobbing who's going to turn off at that point? Yeah, yeah. apparently, well, normal people is the answer yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes no you do realise that you might have gone down a certain road. And, um, Don't get yeah. me wrong, I'm not... I'm not advocating murdering eight-year-old girls, but yeah, no point does that is, really seem like. Good idea. If it's a, but, if it's the story of a story, film and yeah. you're making that film, mm. why would you not? But I, I know, gutless fools. Merry <laughs> Christmas, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, as we've said, I, I, I just, I, I feel when I watch this again. I was so flabbergasted because I, I saw it. I've seen it maybe twice before, um, a long time ago. Yeah, and for, and forgotten how twisty and turny the story. Because all I remember is the super strange visuals and how mm. atmospheric and dark it is. But yeah, then when you watch it again, you're like, yeah, no, it's like it keeps twisting and changing mm. the, which feels like something that's been added on in recent films because. Mm you need to keep it interesting. But actually, they've been doing it since the yeah. very off. Like, oh, and this yeah. is yeah. so ahead of its time. It's just phenomenal. Oh, it's, a, it's a twisty, turny one. Uh, can I ask as well, just this was something that cropped up in my head, was how do you get into the organ grinding business? <laughs> is it you've got a monkey and then you get the organ, or do you get the organ and the monkey together, or...? 
Yeah, I, I'm guessing it, it's an organ and monkey dot com type situation where right. you buy them both together. Yeah, because I just thought it might have been a guy who's like he's got a monkey, he's been <laughs> an insurance broker, and then it was like, well, that's gone tits up. Um, and then he's like, hey, all I need is an organ. A, if we buy a crank organ, <laughs> you know. It's just, yeah, I'm just, Again, I mean, it's a not very... that I'm suggesting, but I might be looking for a new career, you know. That'd be... <laughs> it is a very German thing. I was out uh, <laughs> l- last year in Berlin um, and w- we were doing the like a tour of Christmas markets, m- myself and uh, previous guest, Darnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two of us went out for a few days to Berlin. Of uh, Red Shoes fame. Uh, of Red Shoes fame. Um, yeah, and, and I saw a couple of, a crank because it's one of those things I'd only I'd, I'd never seen one in the flesh as it were, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, a very traditional thing that they clearly still keep up up there. And it, it's awesome. It's so exciting and it's so fucking loud. Yeah, and like you can hear it from streets away. But yeah, so it's yeah, it's it's very nice to see it in situ as it were. I'll also give you a slight insight into a regular occurrence of me and Claire watching anything, frankly, um, that is, well, certainly over 10 years old, uh, is that as soon as an animal appears, one of us has to remark, that monkey's dead now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so cheery. Right. On that (laughs) note, ladies and gentlemen, um, Merry Christmas. Have a lovely new year. Um, we are going to take a, a little bit of a break, not too much. We're going to have a few weeks off, uh, and then we shall be returning for uh, our In the Woods. Did we say we were going to call it our oh. In the Woods series? Yes, if you go down to the woods today, mm. um, you'll be sure of a big surprise. You most we've, done, we've done a few woods before. Oh, there's still more, more. to these. <sighs> Uh, so we will be returning with The Cottage, starring uh, Reese Shearsmith and Andy Serkis. Oh, uh, I don't a... think I've heard this. Oh, it's a... oh No, you haven't. Cottage. We haven't told you about this. It's Never... a surprise. No, but I don't think you've ever mentioned that. Fucking before. great. It's a Christmas um, present. Mm. Yes, uh, it's incredible. Horror comedy, and you're all going to love it. So go and check out Excellent. The Cottage, and we will see you all in a few weeks' time in the new year. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! <laughs> Apple noise. Merry Christmas. Bye bye.